0: Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm joined today by Dr. Karen Lambert, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, she's a lecturer at Monash University, and we were originally supposed to meet up and talk about this at ARA. Uh, but since that got canceled, we moved this recording up a bit earlier. And so, one of the paper or the paper that we're actually highlighting today, the title is "Reconceptualizing Embodied Pedagogies in Physical Education by Creating Pretext Vignettes to Trigger Pleasure in Movement." And I know Dr. Lambert is going to talk about the quotes of "in" a lot uh, during this uh, podcast. It was just published in twenty twenty. So off the press in physical education and sport pedagogy so uh thank you very much for coming on to discuss your paper
1: uh good day rich risto thanks i'm really pleased to be here all the way down in melbourne
0: yeah and uh so and i really enjoy the paper first and foremost and um i i love the style you took and i know we'll get into that in a little bit but let's start off with a key definition first so people know and they're looking at this from the same angle. what What do you define embodiment as?
1: I um, Risto, I'm thinking you probably thought this was an easy starting point, um, warm up with a little bit of a definition or something, but this is probably the hardest question um, that you will ask me today, you know basically, because it's such a it's such a complex term, this notion of embodiment. It's contested across lots of different disciplines, um, from philosophy to sociology and even even inside them. Um, so with that conjecture, um, I like I probably prefer the idea of what it means to embody, to have something, to own something within your body. Um, and I suppose then my influence around the body and embodiment and embodying is from phenomenology mainly by the, from the work of merleau Ponty, who talks about this notion of being in the world and that we have this body that has a particular identity that's inseparable from the environment, its senses, its perceptions, and its thinking. That's probably the closest I can get to it.
0: And you know what? I'm very happy that you explained it that way because I have been struggling with this term, and I feel like it's thrown around so, like, normally and so many different definitions and people use it in so many different ways. And I I read some papers and I'm like, I'm not sure that that was the way that I looked at embodiment. So thank you for making yeah. me feel a little bit better today.
1: Yeah, and I'm actually with some colleagues, I'm working on a a, a content a concept analysis paper of embodiment in physical education. So look out for that one, because there's a lot of practitioners who are talking along similar lines to these papers that I've written, um, and but who are thinking about it and they're using different types of terminology. So we're trying to find a maybe a, what's called a settled view of what it might look like, feel like, sound like, smell like.
0: Awesome. So let's take a wider lens to this, just in general. Why did you write this paper and what kind of pulled you into uh, into the paper?
1: Um, I'm going to go with the usual, um, but it's probably the unusual for me. The usual is usually anger and frustration, actually. Um, so this paper comes from my interest in injustice, social injustice and inequity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, look, I'm really tired of hearing stories about young women not being able or allowed to do particular things. You know, this or that because they're they're, they're too this or they're too that, small, weak. Stupid. Um, I'm done. I'm kind of done with that. So, on a broader social level, I'm definitely, definitely um, done with sexism and misogyny. That kind of also functions to limits mm-hmm. young women and girls. And I guess close to my work, I'm I'm really, really tired of how physical education is often complicit in those sorts of things. That inequity and that sexism. Um, and so there's that, <laughs> which is the underlying. Um, thing for me, the drive for me, the passion. But I'm also done with mediocrity and physical education. I think, I think, I think a lot of teachers do a lot of average things. And uh, um, I, you know, I, I want to provoke people to stop doing average.
0: Yeah. And I think you did provoke in this paper really well. And uh, what what was the main purpose behind behind the paper?
1: Uh, well, I guess with that last comment being said, it was to ruffle the nest a little bit, mm-hmm. um, to, to make readers think about, firstly, you know, what, what constitutes research and data in physical education? Um, what could it be and what could it actually then do? Um, it also had a creative purpose. Um, I've got a body. You've got a body. The people who are reading have a body. Now, regardless of what that body can and can't do... Um, it's a, it's a resource that we can all draw upon to make sense, and I think the main thing was this this pedagogical notion that I had to bring to bring new content ideas to physical education. So to move away from the bats and the balls and the sports and the games, and to draw in occupational demands, for example, as a um, feasible content area. Think about valuing movement more than just like um, sport for a particular instrumental purpose. And just thinking about meaningfulness. Um, yeah, so just to kind of shake it up and bring a little bit of innovation to curriculum design, I guess, too.
0: Yeah, and and you definitely did. I I love the way you wrote the paper. You wrote it to be personal, and I think you were overt about that in, in, in the beginning. You connected with the reader about their love to move, and, you know, I, I thought back of I I do jujitsu. I've been wrestling for a long time. So for me, when you were describing that moment of how you feel when you're moving in certain ways, it really clicked with me about hitting a certain move or doing a certain, you know, tactic or something. It just, sometimes it flows really well and it just totally clicks. Um, Mm. So it, you got me, it worked. So what was your, was that your goal of writing in this way or
1: um yeah it's kind of a reminder i guess it was that reminder because what you've just described is is the definition of embodiment that you wanted earlier Mm -hmm. right and so if if i then ask you to go we'll go into your body now and then bring up those that that moment in that you know that that jujitsu comp or that exercise you did and tell me talk me through, because that's the best we've really got, isn't it, to talk someone through or to see an image. So that's embodiment to me. And I think our bodies are are poetic and lyrical and they do particular things that um, bring us pleasure. And I think pleasure is a really key part of um, of what I'm trying to, to think about in terms of movement, that anyone can have pleasure in movement. It doesn't matter how good or bad it is. Um, But most of the ideas have actually come as been a bit of a legacy from my own thesis work where I was looking at sense of place um, using human geography and queer theory and gender and identity and I use poetic forms of representation to um, share my data. So my interview transcripts were made into poems, like one of the poems in the paper. Um, So these memories, these feelings that we conjure up uh, of place, of time, of objects, of thoughts even, we can remember the thought that we were having I think they tingle um, at a cellular level. And um, when our cells resonate, um, you know, when we're moving, we're making sense of what's going on. And it doesn't really matter whether it's good or bad movement. It's just something. And that pleasure can also be um, um, positive or negative. It can be also pain, you know, pain as well, you know, um, that, you know. That that song, you know, the, there's a fine line between pleasure and pain. There absolutely is, but it's still this, Mm sense and I know a lot of our listeners have felt that because that they they are embodied beings and they've probably had similar embodied and positive experiences with movement like you and I have had and I wanted the a PE teacher to just stop for a moment and just stop just reproducing the same old hockey lesson or or football or basketball lesson or something and just to stop and go Wait a minute! You've got a body. You've felt these things. Why aren't you doing those things with kids in your classes? Why aren't you calling upon your own embodied memory of joy and bringing that joy to kids? And then, um, you know, like then I pose, I think at the end of that, uh, a question: Might not these memories of the pleasure of having a moving body in the world be attainable for young people with your guidance?
0: Yeah, and and you know what? When I when I read your paper, I actually my. Uh, my wife is an editor, she has her degree in English and a master's degree in English, and she knows how to write really well. And so (laughs) I, I, I started thinking, I'm like, maybe I should take a creative writing class, because I do not write like you. And, And I, and I still honestly, I still feel like this, this is such a great paper in the way that you wrote, and you took that, you know, a poetic lens, you, you have visual methods in there, you have these vignettes that you you wrote in. So again, I, I told you this off the record too. I really loved the way you write, but I'll say it again, just so you can blush. <laughs>
1: Woo. Yeah. Blushing down here. Woo, So right
0: let's, so I built you up. Now I'm going like to crush you <laughs> Thank down. You. So here we yeah. go. So you begin the paper with a number of claims about Un- the uncontested, uncritical and unimaginative state of physical education and P teacher education, um, and the pedagogical impact of this on learners and educators. So why are you hating on a PE?
1: Ooh, ouch.
0: Ooh, it was a high. Um, low. Did you see that roller coaster?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know it was all like, damn, bingo, down. <laughs> um, look, I know you kind of got a little bit of tongue in cheek here, mm-hmm, but
0: absolutely. you
1: know, I think in reality the discipline actually does need a shake up, and I'm not the first one who's kind of said this. And you know, and and, and this is not the first draft of this paper, so the front end has changed to be a little bit more, um, uh, soft in that regard, I guess. Mm-hmm. But also too, I think if you want to make change happen, you just you sometimes you've just got to rock the boat, like. I'm going to own it. Yeah, I was dishing, um, um, but I wanted to make the dishing playful and emotional and embodied. I wanted to make the paper the thing that I was trying to tell people about so um and this is not a new warning or a new request This uncontested nature people like david kirk have been talking about it for decades Absolutely. um you know about like you know we've got to stop just focusing on games and sports and sport technique and fitness because there's going to come a time we're all going to get kicked out of schools because we don't have an educative purpose mm-hmm. we're not teaching the e in pe um yeah and And PE also too, like, you know, it's a site of privilege. It privileges certain types of bodies, bodies that can move, that enjoy it, have generally had positive experiences and also those ones that align with dominant models of PE. So we have a a small group of young people that usually, usually like us, go on and become phys ed teachers um, because they've had successes with their bodies. Um, But most kids actually don't fit into that model. Um, and those expectations are, are really really far reaching for young people, especially girls, who um, some of them just reject it entirely, and just just you know they just tell us where to go. So um and really as a as a kind of queer theorist, I have a particular view on bodies and embodiment. Um, and so I was really drawn, um, drawn to when I was looking for people who were trying to mess with the system a little bit, I came across the work of Haley McGlashan and Katie Fitzpatrick from New mm-hmm. Zealand and they, they talked about straight pedagogies and I just went, yes, hell yes, <laughs> they yeah. are straight but as in like normative, normative, um, unproblematic, uncontested, just like there and everyone accepts them but, you know, like pretty boring as well. I think bodies are different. One size fits more, more uh, all model of sport or, or training or even just fun. Um, yeah, let's just go out and have some kicks. It just misses too many young people out. And as pro- professionals, I don't think we should be content with that. Actually,
0: yeah, and and those papers by Katie Fitzpatrick, that you know, those are great. I know the futures papers that you talked about are great reading in hindsight. Now, you know, some of those early ones by um, was either Tinning or Pringle that, that mm-hmm. talked about you know 2020 you know david kirk yep. talked about 2020 and you know we're here and some of the things are you know were scary when they wrote it down in our reality now so
1: yeah, yeah. and we're going to have even scarier times i mean what does physical education look like i'm um, taught online for example yeah um i mean we're having those challenges here but also so are, so are school teachers i mean mm-hmm. we're not going to just throw out or might be an opportunity for governments to throw out curriculum. Um, particular curriculum areas who knows what's going to come on the back of 2020 in fact
0: yeah so let's go back to 2018 you you wrote a paper uh girls on fire um this is assigned reading for my master's uh reading seminar which my grad students really loved at mason um can you explain that project briefly because that's basically the project that you kind of built this paper on top of
1: yeah yeah that definitely. so um, in about two thousand sixteen, I uh, supported a, a colleague of mine who was a who's a firefighter to get a grant here in Australia and uh, so I was a, a reference, and she was going to go and travel around the world for six weeks and uh, collect data around best practices around diversity and inclusion in firefighting. And um, one of the components of it was these firefighting camps that she'd actually been to um, in the, in North America. And as soon as I saw that, I went, wait a minute, there's, there's, there's something smells like pedagogy down in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I just said, hey, uh, yeah, I'll sign uh, this reference for you if I can come along. And so I started collecting data in 2017 at these camps from the people who ran them. And then, um, oh, it's 2016. And then in 2017, I went to uh, North America, and went to three firefighting camps over about a month period, and um, did a sense what I called a sensory ethnography. So that was an ethnography where I was on site, and I was paying a lot of attention to. Um, Things to do with their with the young women's bodies, um, the heat mainly because we were in um, Tucson uh, and it was you know in the desert, um, and uh, heat and sweat and heavy gear and just watching watching these young women you know massive temperatures and heavy gear just putting putting out fire like fire and fire and fire you know um, and just getting up every day and getting back into it and I, and so I, I collected this data that spoke to the experiences of these 39 young women. And my focus was on embodied learning. What does embodied learning look like basically in in this particular camp? Because I figured if young women could get involved and really take this on and just have a positive experience in this, they could probably do anything pretty much. So you know, my idea was then to come up with some conceptions of what embodied learning looked like for them. So what were they learning? In what ways were they learning? Uh, What discourses did they draw upon to explain their learning and to show their learning? Um, And then um, my intention was then in a second paper, which I have done, was to link that, well, if this is what I think, and it is really just playful, it's just some modest suggestions. If this is what I think embodied learning looks like, here's what I might think some embodied pedagogies look like, which is what was this second paper, um, so so yeah. Look, I, I just think that these young women, rather being separated out by like kind of mind-body dualisms, they were, were kind of these little collective things, and they they really, they, it really came to the fore were themes around this notion of the mind. They were thinking and self-talk and problem-solving um, each other. This notion of sociality and care, um, and safety and having someone else's back. Um, the body, definitely some stuff around the body and pleasure, the buzz and the fun and the enjoyment so that's kind of how that where that paper came from um and the methods i used are fairly typical ethnographic ones um interviews field worth work notes as well as all these imageries and these film texts
0: and so they were mostly secondary age uh young women
1: uh yes yes uh, out
0: of out of school so there was it was during the summer right
1: yeah, they're like summer camps, mm-hmm. so they're like your um, your summer camp, except they're quite short. Because I know some of your camps can be quite long. These ones are about for, uh, up to about seven days, and typically um, s- sort of run in a fire station kind of setting. So they get some support from the fire station, but some of them also had some affiliations with outside organizations like Girl Scouts of America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know those sorts of organisations who supported basically the 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 I guess the registration and the sign ups and those sorts of things. So and many of them have been going for years. I mean, you folks, many of your folks listening in, probably even heard, haven't even heard of them. But some of these have been going for 10, 15 years.
0: Yeah, never heard of them, and I live in America. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's talk about Arnold and mm-hmm. uh, his in through and about movement concepts. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Yeah, well, Peter Arnold was actually informed by phenomenological ideas as well. So it's not surprising that that someone like me would be interested in his work. And one of the other reasons that I'm interested in his work is because it's often and has been used historically as the basis for writing physical education curriculum documents. Um, now, either explicitly um, or implicitly, um, it, it it has kind of appeared in these. And so, these three notions, predominantly, what gets favoured are the notions that are to do with like knowing things about um, movement. So, the more theoretical aspects um, of technique, um, discipline, knowledge to do with um, with movement, and that that is his about movement. Um, so, it's the theoretical body of knowledge to do with movement so the knowing the through is the doing basically um is it's so it's the more functional aspects of moving and in physical education some more functional aspects of physical education so that's the doing of it mm-hmm. so what you can already see is that those two, those two dominate. Like we, we we learn about biomechanical principles and exercise physiology. We then um, do some blood tests and we find out about ATP and then we change train pre- a training program. So And then we modify that program based upon the body's experiences. So we do know because we all agreed earlier in this, this presentation um, that we also have a body that feels things. Um, that those things don't always come out um, in physical education classes, and so Arnold's third term, which he says the three of them are all equal in some kind of way, and not separated out by the way, considers the more embodied aspects of the movement, um, where the movement is seen not as a way to get fit or strong or um, to learn a particular uh, piece of knowledge, but as a as a worthwhile end in means in and of itself.
0: And so you talk uh, in the paper about the pleasure in movement. Uh, and I think that, and and you're right. And I think in, even on our, we had a call last week in, uh, I kind of just listened in on PHE Canada and a bunch of teacher educators talk about what their situation is in teacher education right now. And And Tim Fletcher talked about pushing this in of Arnold's movement. And I'm like, I'm talking to Carrot Lambert in like two days. I know exactly what this is. I'm I'm on it. Um, but what? What is the most what's the important part here about thinking about the pleasure in movement?
1: Mm, yeah, so, and Tim's one of those folks that I was saying. There's a lot of people who are doing some really cool things, and they're kind of skirting around the same thing. And you know, like, what is it? Um, meaning, you know, his meaning and his, you know, and the idea of learning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all all fit into what we're all trying to say is bring back the education. Look, I think the I think the end. There's a lot of talk around the end, just kind of being left out of Arnold's stuff traditionally. But I think the end, if it like the very first thing that came to my mind when you asked me that question was it's a moment. And it's a moment when things um, slip into each other where senses are kind of on alert, um, where something like joy might be happening. So if we go back to our really early experiences um, uh, as, as children, when we were rolling down the hill uh, in the, on the grass until we mm-hmm. got sick kind of thing, um, crashing our bike, like being going down a hill and being so petrified and then crashing it and, and feeling so upset and then sore, all of those things. It's the smell of grass um, when we're playing, you know, when we're going to a training ground or something like that. But it's it's all the sensations, the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts and the memories that linger. Um, and, and they create this moment of time where we are in movement and we're not aware of it. Look, I think I think flow kind of captures it but I I I think flow has been often used with you know high level and elite athletes but I I don't see any reason why you know going on a swing or riding your bike really fast down a hill is not a state of flow either.
0: Yeah. And I I like that you separated those because I and I did think of that connection of flow as well. Uh, Because, you know, having a sports psychology background, you talk about that flow state and you try to maximize the amount of time that you can get into that flow state. But, you know, who who is to say that you can't have that flow state on a swing, you know, or or doing all of the things that you kind of talked about. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think the flow state at an elite level it precludes young people because if, if we were teaching young people who are like age five to seventeen, then who have different sorts of bodies, they're going to have different sorts of movement experiences, and they're going to vary quite markedly. And of course, there will be someone there who's a state champion or something like that. But we've all, but but there's other kids who've played the game in the backyard or up in the bush, they've been at the park, um, on a wave surfing. It's like you know where the sensations whether they're you know petrified or thrilled or exhilarated or buzzing or they're there they, and, and they remember them and they're still there maybe yeah. for some time afterwards.
0: Yeah. I, I remember in sixth grade I had an, an English writing assignment to write my experience write an experience in depth and I wrote about how I was bodyboarding and got barreled for the first time in my life. And I wrote it up and my English teacher just crushed it down, said it was a terrible paper. Oh. So that's oh. power of a teacher right there. But also probably okay. I didn't write as well as I should have. That's why I should take a creative writing class.
1: Yeah maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, or, or, you know, at the front of the paper of my paper, how I make that little poem um, that's all jagged and stuff, that was just really prose turn into a poem. So just do that
0: next time. Yeah. Oh, I'll drop remind a, my drop... sixth grade self to do that. Yeah, <laughs> give it a, give it a crack. Give a go again. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I tried to formulate a question for this. I couldn't. So can you read your thesis from the paper? I feel like mm. that and it helps a lot.
1: It it does, doesn't it? And because it's it's it's, and it had to come later on in the paper because I think I needed to be able to justify why I was able to get to this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think putting the two papers together is really helpful in this regard. But yeah, so my thesis is simple: for sense and eventually meaning and learning to be made from movement, pleasurable, embodied. In movement moments must be provided to young women before learning about and or through movement. So that's one part. Yeah. Provocatively I, can, I, I contend that we may not have to physically move to be moved movement, to learn to move or to learn from movement. There exists the kind of embodied spatial pretext for movement that is also highly contextual.
0: And it is very provocative as a physical education scholar to say that you might not need to move in order to gain something from this in in this kind of embodied learning in in this t- in this time period. Also, you know, from you know, kindergarten to 12, there might be a time where you might find pleasure in different types of movement more than just straight physical education or health and P.E.
1: Mm, yeah, for sure. But also, too, um, I mean, um, uh, what about a young person or, or us even, you know, who goes to a game and your team, you're on the edge of the seat and it's, you need a goal in the final like 30 seconds or something and everybody's tense and you're tense and you're resonating and you're excited and you're pumped. You're having pleasure, right? That's a mm-hmm. pleasure. You might not be moving, but you are and you are in a movement moment.
0: Yeah, and you talked about willing that last goal in the last thirty seconds. You yeah. know, and, and I and I thought about that. I'm like, oh, I do get on the edge of my seat and make sure that I'm like maybe standing at the end hoping that my home team will get that. And Yeah. And I think sure. the, I think the issue is here when we look at we might watch sports, even if we're watching it on TV, we're so interested in it. But Mm. we have a generation of students who are just as passionate about video games, right? Mm. And they are like leaning into these video games 100% on the edge of their seat, everything emotional inside of them. No, they're not getting physical activity most of the time, but they are within that realm of what you were talking about. They might have Mm -hmm. that joyful, passionate experience that they can't recreate because maybe they lack the skill in soccer to recreate it, but they mm. might enjoy it through a video game or, you know, so, I don't know, I think that yeah, might take yeah. it too far, I don't
1: know. No, no, I, I think I think videoing is a, is a good example because, you know, like, I mean, I learned to play cricket, I mean, I know you folks don't really know what that is, it's a game that goes for five days and it could still end up being a draw. So. It's not that interesting. But right. I learned to play it because I lived in a small country town and there were no cricket teams. And again, back to my idea, I was not allowed to play in the boys' team, you know, like all of that sort of rubbish. So I learned to play cricket by watching it on the couch. And, I, I you know, you, you saw a ball go and, and it's like in baseball when, you know, you just put your hand out and you catch it really quick. You go, how did they catch that? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I was feeling that I was having those movements, and how could I then pick up with a pick up a bat and then know how to hold it, and know how to bowl and know how to do those things if I'd never done it before, kind of thing. And I think what happens with young women, very early on in their lives, um, you know, they do all the playful things, and to a point they're allowed to be rough and tumble, and then they get to a point, and then somebody says to them, which is what my mother even did to me, and just said, oh, you, you know, you can't do that anymore. And I just looked at her and I just said, why? She said, because you're a little girl. And I just went off, you're kidding, right? And just ran off, you know, like, so we're foreclosed. lot of young women are foreclosed particular types of movements, experiences from a really young age. So any wonder they don't give a down when they're in like, when they're 14.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, your colleague down there, Justin O'Connor talks about this in uh, in his informal sport uh, pieces of how things like cricket have not necessarily been so popular because it takes five days to play a game you know maybe they shorten it and now it's three days in certain types but it's still several several days in a row whereas you could gain these embodied experiences out just doing parkour and out doing a hike or doing something by yourself or in small groups Mm. informally
1: yeah, and I think finding that thing that resonates with young people. So why can't you bring gaming to physical education? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it has very some very dexterous skills in it and leaning in and so there's balance, there's there's a lot of things to do with with t- traditional ways in which we think about classifying movements.
0: Yeah. So can you can you explain what embodied pedagogies are?
1: Yeah um no but I could give you a little rough idea about from my data what I think they could look like um I think this varies across across fields and I, I do draw upon a colleague here of mine Rachel Forgas, is uh she's actually a drama teacher and and uh so she um talks about the body being the locus of learning and I think that's Magic. I think that's really a super, super way to think about it. And then uh, I've drawn on uh, Newen and Larson when they think about um, embodied pe- pedagogies. Are those pedagogies that can um, elicit learning? So it's always it's got an embodied pedagogy has to also be about learning. So elicit learning that joins the body and mind in a physical and mental act of knowledge construction. Now whether that knowledge is a physical knowledge or an emotional knowledge or a, or an intellectual knowledge, I think that's open. Um, so what I what I tried to do from my first paper into my into my second paper was to then link if this is what embodied learning looks like, what might some embodied pedagogies look like, and what might be their I guess features or a strategy. So um, in the pa- in the paper that we're talking about um, on table four, I list kind of just six, I guess they're just pointers, and then I list um some actions on the right hand side to go Mm -hmm. with them and i'll just quickly i'll read through those six and maybe talk to them a little bit if we have some more time but this this notion and these are for teachers these my idea was what will i tell a phys ed teacher they need to do now the first thing is because i was thinking about the intention that the young women had in in the firefighting i went teachers have to plan with intention they have to think with intention and they have to plan with intention. Mm-hmm. They have to stretch outside of phys ed and what they think the boundaries of phys ed. I think we get in our own way around this. We bring our own values, our own um, baggage. So why not stretch outside phys ed too, as we just talked about. We've talked about, um, uh, you talked about bodyboarding. We've talked about gaming. We've talked mm-hmm. about firefighting and any number. I've got, just got my stand-up desk up right now. The occupations, the spaces of occupations are changing. We don't just need um, movement skills to go to work, to, to, to play sport. We need them to go to work. We need them to get around town to go shopping. Yeah. Um, I think the context is really serious. I think we need to think seriously about the context of our learning and creating a space where engagement and learning can be safe and can learn um, and have learning takes place. I think there are lots of different contexts in which we can put young people, but we can Im- imagine them in our classrooms. We don't have to just come and say, here's the hockey gear, get it on, let's play hockey. Um, we can actually think about the different ways in which daily skills around movement um, are contexts context of our everyday lives. Ironing, washing, cleaning, vacuum cleaning, mowing the lawn at home, all of those things. You can bring them to phys It'll be fun because be props. Yeah, and who doesn't like a dress up, right? Um, I think the key thing is this idea of pleasure, and this is where the in pleasure is central. So making the movement experience pleasurable, and uh, a couple of my colleagues, um, uh, Kim Oliver and Carla Laguety and David Kirk have done some great work over the last couple of years with an approach called the activist approach. Actually, asking young people what they would like to do and like to come to learn and like to come to be able to create and co-creating classes with them and i think what, that's an what amazing changer things.
0: right there right if you think about it you're like no, yeah. oh, what why don't you just ask them what they would like to do and then create those learning experiences for them you have a master's yeah. degree you have a bachelor's degree like you could figure this out yeah
1: yeah absolutely and it's 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 well it's participatory action research it's old school Denzin and lincoln kind of stuff but and Michelle, fine, and, and, but it's, you know, like we, most of us know what we like and know what we want, so, we, so often we just have to be asked, and that goes for our relationships as well as our, our, our movement and our learning. I think the key here is learning. It's not about what would you like to do and here's a list of things, choose, it's what would you, what would you like to learn mm-hmm. about yourself, about each other, about your body. And those sorts of things, and I think this idea of um, facilitating bonding, and you mentioned Justin O'Connor um, before, and Justin and I have been toying around with what is it that makes makes a learning experience also memorable? Can actually be this the social? It's having not necessarily others there but maybe others watching, like, you know, the kids who were playing in their soccer game and their parents are on the side, you know. It might not be that they're great or having a great time, but their parents are actually there watching. So there's there's some bonding that happens, and I think I learned heaps in the firefighting because these were young women who had come together from all over the country mm-hmm. and were just thrown together in these things, and they, they started to get on, um, right. and they had to go through some really complex things as part of that. Um, and, 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 to, and to treat young people actually like they can solve complex problems and in groups and give them complex problems. And the final thing that I wanted to throw in there, um, which lines up really nicely with my, you know, my comments earlier about being you know, kind of sick and tired of um, sexism and, and, and the ways in which sport is constructed, and that's just to be disruptive, to be unapologetic about it and just be disruptive, to, so to refuse gendered norms um, to encourage and question what bodies are and what bodies can do and just stay committed to
0: that. Yeah. And and there's so many gems in this paper of, you know, you, you went through that table quickly, but again, um, for those that want to read the paper, there's so much more than what we're highlighting. But um, So I'm going to combine the next couple of questions here. You, mm-hmm. you talk about pretext vignettes. So can you briefly explain those? And then I know you have Uh, I think four of them, but can you just share one with us?
1: Yeah, sure. No worries. Um, I I drew upon drama notion of pretext. I think we do this anyway. It's it's like a stimulus. It's like a stimulus before you do something. So with using this notion of pretext, I was able to bring another idea to physical education. So that's about stretching it pedagogically. Um, So it's a source or it's a stimulus that's used to set up or establish something. It can be used to initiate an action or a kind of launching pad um, for drama. And you can see how in drama it might be used as a warm-up technique as well. So it provides some opportunities to explore things that are imaginary, um, that are characters, that are cre- creative, that are contexts. And it can take any sort of different form. So the dom- the predominant forms would be uh, written, a written text Probably uh, visual, so all of the senses. So a visual or an oral or an auditory text, and I think also an objects, an object. So I could bring like a firefighting gear along, and mm-hmm. that would be a pretext for movement. Um, and I'm also really curious about whether a pretext might be a you know a context or a place. Maybe probably it's a feeling. It maybe even an idea. Um, so the one that I've chosen to share with you actually is a little bit, um, it's probably one of my favorite because it has one of my most favorite powerful images in it on page one hundred and sixty six of a, of a young woman like just smacking uh, intentionally smacking a um, a punching bag. Um, this vignette is focused on intention, and so the themes that I that I drew upon in here were were to do with this in movement. so everything, Um, pleasure in movement, intention in movement. Um, So this particular vignette consists of two images and two videos um, where I noticed from my fieldwork notes that the young women were acting purposefully and with intention. They really were focused on doing something. So the sorts of things that I noticed going on in the visual and the audio was their faces, the angles, um, the hardness, so the skin, the texture of skin, the hair being all mucky, um, carrying around heavy turnout gear. Now the turnout gear that firefighters use is really pretty heavy and it also makes noise. And so one of the clips that I've got in there is it's actually one of my favorite clips. So if you get the paper, you can use the QR code and you'll go through to one of these clips and I've called it across the fireground, and I've, I went behind the young women with my with my camera, and I was just videoing them as they were walking away after a day on the on the ground on the on the fireground, and they were exhausted and it was hot, and all you can hear is their boots kind of shuffling and the tinking of some of their gear. So there's all of these sensual things that are in there that I'm trying to do what a pretext does, establish a scene. Um, imagine what's possible. Who are the characters? What's the context? What's the noise? So, trying to set this thing up. So, um, for this particular vignette, I use two images. One is an image of the fireground, and then one is a, a video of young people walking across it, and the other is of a young woman punching. the The f- fourth um, QR code that's actually there is. Um, the, young, the young women go into what's called a flashover box and a flashover box is um, it simulates fire in a house. Um, so when the fire gets to a certain temperature, it makes its own weather. So it stops being a little fire that's cosy in the corner and starts being this kind of monster that creeps up and over and crawls along the roof and comes down the walls um, and that this box creates that. So these kids put on gear and go into that. That's pretty crazy. So I've got a, I've got, i got a film of them all coming out, and and like they're just astounded and flabbergasted. So the, so I like that one because it's intention and it's associated with the job. It's associated with the work that firefighters do. It's associated with them just going, I don't care how hot it is. This is the job that firefighters do, and this is the job that I want to do. So that intentionality there, which is a really cool concept actually from phenomenology as well, Um, yeah, look, I I was blown away about when they put that gear on, they kind of like stepped up. They were that thing they were not pretending to be. They actually took on that identity. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that combination is really powerful in, in sharing that with people who read the paper about, oh, wow, okay, I get it. This is real. Young women can do this stuff. And so what I do in the vignette is I actually offer um, mainly for either physical education teachers can use this or um, teacher educators can use this. I then scaffold some teaching and learning activities in it. Um, Not heaps, but enough for people to have a bit of a play with it using those texts as the pretext.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, if you look at the videos, which – great idea putting a QR code so I could actually interact with where you were and I could embody that space boom there you go mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm looking at this and you know you can't you don't know that that's a 16 17 year old girl in that uniform because they're crawling no. through that flashover box and they come out and they're just walking And so I think that's interesting as well as you could have shown that to a lot of people and just said, this is a camp for firefighters. Um, And I think a lot of people would have assumed, oh, they, those are boys. Yeah, exactly. And
1: yeah, and that's where I'd say if you went back to some of the things I said in table four Mm -hmm. about like being disruptive unapologetically, you'd probably show that first and go, okay, okay, gang, what are you seeing here? They go, oh yeah, a group of boys on, you know, or men Mm -hmm. because the gear is you can't it's 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 a really interesting uh degendered outfit yeah it's really hard to tell
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely so Um, what's the big takeaway from this paper what are what are some of your kind of parting thoughts other than being unapologetically disruptive going
1: forward mm -hmm. yeah um i think that uh, if if phys ed teachers were able to pay more attention to embodied learning um, and in learner learner embodiment, that we can think a little bit differently about the, the more sensuous ways in which we can set up our classrooms, um, activate and stimulate young people in them. And I think that in bringing pretext and this notion of pretext, I can then go back to my thesis and I can say, well, here's an example of something you can do for young people who might not have had Positive movement experiences. They might not have be been in the the A team or in, in any team, in fact. Um, but that we can use these to engage young people first, and go, wow, well, here's some here's some experiences um, that you can have safely um, using these sorts of objects. Um, then load in perhaps some more um, traditional physical education aspects to them. And I think if we we think about physical education being you know um, more in more creative and and creative and critical ways, um, regardless of gender or physicality or work or what we want young people to be able to do at the end, but it's that it's a series of ex, of sensuous experiences and pleasures that we could actually bring to class. They're not just for young women. I think this applies to um, young men as well. And I think it most especially applies for those those people who have been. Um, disenfranchised or, or, or neglected from mainstream phys ed or from movement experiences.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, awesome, awesome read. Um, I do highly recommend um, people reading the full paper because, you know, even though we've been talking for 45 minutes and, you know, I, I look back and I'm like, man, we didn't cover like so many other vignettes and so many other the discussion topics, but um, I think it's worth a full read uh, for everybody who's listening. Uh, thank you, Karen, for joining us. Um, you, so, anybody wants to follow Dr. Karen Lambert on Twitter, you can do so at Dr. Karen Lambert. Uh, you can follow the podcast at the HPE podcast and online at thehpewebsite.com. Um, any uh, other parting thoughts that you have uh, for us? Words of wisdom?
1: positive energy oh gosh i hope i have sent some positive energy you know like sometimes i just think about the stuff that we do and i and uh when i think about the times and the context that we're placed in i sometimes i reflect upon i go oh what's the point look at what we're doing but hopefully this is going to inspire folks when they do get back out there when they get a chance to do and maybe some some of your students or maybe some of our listeners might be able to put together some of these things and and share them with you and and we can use them as an online way in which to stimulate and engage young people in, in their bodies and in, in movement in a time when um, they're being having a lot of things foreclosed to them. So I think this is a nice opportunity, I think, to think about um, the good things we can do in phys ed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, we're going to keep pushing out the podcast each week on Tuesday mornings. There's a lot of content out already. Uh, close to 100 episodes. So um, I have a Google Doc that you can find on my Twitter uh, that breaks it down by uh, episodes. So if you're looking for uh, some supplemental help for your um, for your classes like university classes, this is a great way to access research uh, for somebody who doesn't have time to read it necessarily or maybe um, needs it in a in a different format. So thanks again. Appreciate all your uh, all your time today.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much, Risto. Bye-bye.